Our Gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, beginning with verse 40. A leper came to Jesus, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched the man and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony. But the man went out and began to proclaim it freely, to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly. He stayed out in the country, and still people came to him from every quarter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you choose, if you choose, you can make me clean. All three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them tell this story of Jesus healing a leper. Mark tells it early on though, chapter one, at the very beginning of the gospel, the first thing that Jesus and his disciples do, they travel to Capernaum, where he casts a demon out of a man in the synagogue. After that, he heals a woman of a fever. After that, he travels to Galilee, where this leper comes to him. It's at the end of this part of the story, at the end of this opening chapter of the gospel, that people from every quarter begin to seek him out. The progression of all of this is fascinating to me. You see, from his first healing miracle, Jesus catches people's attention. People are amazed and afraid. They are curious and hopeful. All of this from the very beginning. They talk about him. A few of them even approach him. But it's not until he says, I do choose. I choose to heal you. It's not until he says that, that people flock to him. This makes sense to me. After all, who doesn't want to be chosen? When my brother was in third grade, he and, he and his friends were trying out for the baseball team. He had never talked about baseball before, but the pull of friendship is strong, even at a young age. So he accompanied his friends to practice every day that week. And he complained about practice every day that week. He hated the drills, and he hated the running, and he hated being out in the heat. So I foolishly thought he'd be relieved when he didn't make the team. He was not relieved. He was heartbroken. And I remember saying to him, with all of the wisdom of my 12 years, why are you so upset? You hate baseball. And he looked at me and said in this small, hurt voice, well, yeah, but it stinks to be left out. You see, I had missed it. It wasn't that he wanted to play baseball. He really didn't care about playing baseball. He cared about being on the team. He wanted to belong. He wanted to be wanted. And who doesn't? The leper who approaches Jesus, I wonder sometimes what he sounds like. If his voice trembled or if his speech was solid and defiant. I can imagine it both ways. 
You see, lepers, they didn't have it easy. Their skin was diseased, but it was their entire personhood that suffered. Leviticus, the book of the law, Leviticus devotes an entire chapter, an entire 59 verses to the treatment of lepers. They are to wear torn clothing and they are to cry out unclean, unclean ahead of themselves as a warning to anyone who might be nearby. They are to live alone, far removed from anyone else. Their entire existence is one of isolation. So for the leper to stop Jesus and ask him to heal him, not only is he breaking the rules, he's asking Jesus to break the rules too. He knows, it seems, what Jesus can do. The question is what Jesus will choose to do. If you choose, the leper says. And the very next word, even before Jesus answers, the very next word of scripture tells us that Jesus was moved with pity. That's how the translation this morning puts it. But there's actually quite a bit of debate about it. In the Greek, this word is splanchnizomai. Now some say it's best understood as to be moved with pity or compassion. Others say it's about being moved with anger. We debate the best way to say it because the literal translation means to be moved deeply down in one's bowels. I trust you see why we have endeavored to say it a bit differently, but I also trust that you know that feeling. It's that gut feeling you get when you instinctively know that something is right or wrong. It's that feeling you get when you realize the significance of the moment in front of you. When the leper approaches him, I imagine Jesus feels both compassion and anger, compassion for the man and anger for the circumstances that surround him. But the text tells us that he feels something else too, and actually that something is seated far deeper than any emotion. Because in addition to everything else that he is, Jesus is a devout Jew. And any good Jew, upon being asked to make a choice, they would hear the proposition laid out in front of them but they would also hear the words that Francois read earlier today. And those are words, you see, those words, any observant Jew would have those words imprinted on their heart. Joshua is at the end of his life, and before he leaves this world for the next, he reminds the Israelites of God's faithfulness. He recites their story, the story of God's presence in their lives and the story of God's promises fulfilled. And after all of that, he says, choose this day whom you will serve. The Israelites were living in a time and a place where there were countless other gods they could pledge their allegiance to. The same is true today. Frankly, the same has always been true. But Joshua says to his people something to remind them and encourage them. He says, God has always chosen you, so now the choice is yours. If I understand the text, when Jesus hears the leper say, if you choose, you can make me clean, he also hears Joshua saying, choose this day whom you will serve. 
So does Jesus choose the leper or does Jesus choose God? The end result is the same. The leper is healed, so maybe the distinction is of the smallest nuance. But I do believe that when Jesus says, I do choose, in that moment before anything else, Jesus is choosing God. He is making the choice yet again to serve God and live by God's way in this world. And it's for that reason, it's because of that first choice that he can then choose to heal the leper. Because to choose God is to choose one another. To choose God is to choose life and dignity and wholeness for one another. Do you know the story of Ruth Coker Burks? In 1984, Ruth Coker Burks was 25 years old and she was visiting a friend in the hospital. She noticed a door down a different hallway that was taped off and she noticed it was the door that the nurses didn't walk through without drawing straws to see who had to do it. Inside was a man dying of AIDS, except keep in mind this was a time when we didn't even yet call it AIDS. The first course of treatment was to isolate the patients to protect ourselves from them. To this day, Ruth, she can't tell you why she walked through that door. It was something of a divine nudge, she says. She can't explain it any other way. The young man inside was skeletal, and he wanted nothing more than to see his mother before he died. She walked out to tell the nurses, and the nurses, they laughed. They said, honey, his mother's not coming. He's been here six weeks. Nobody has been here. Nobody has been here and nobody is coming. Ruth sat with that man for 13 hours until he took his last breath. And after his death, when his parents refused to even claim his ashes, she buried him in her family's cemetery plot. Ruth Coker Burks became known as someone who was willing to care for AIDS patients. She estimates that she sat alongside over a thousand of them and 43 are buried with her family. She learned to say the funerals herself after being turned down by preachers and priests more times than she could count. We, the church, we have not always been on the right side of history. Even so, she said, she never questioned her faith. I knew what I was doing was right, she said. I knew I was doing what God asked of me. It wasn't a voice from the sky. It was something I knew deep in my soul. It was Blanche Nizomai. Something beyond compassion or anger, something stronger than any emotion. It's that gut-level recognition of the call of God upon our lives. It's responsibility and obligation in the holiest and most faithful way those words can possibly be understood. Our choices matter. Our choices matter every minute. C.S. Lewis, he says it this way. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. 
and taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices all your life long, you are slowly turning into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. Either a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into a creature perpetually in a state of war and hatred. To be the one kind of creature, he writes, is heaven. It is joy and peace and knowledge and power. But to be the other means to be consumed by madness, horror, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. And each of us, he says, each of us in every moment is progressing toward one state or the other. If you choose, the leper says, I do choose, Jesus says, I choose health and wholeness and dignity and freedom for you. And then he heals the man. In word and in action, Jesus chooses a man no one else would touch with a 10-foot pole, where everyone else sees a monster, a danger, a risk, an outrage, an outsider, an other. Jesus sees the very image of God. The Washington National Cathedral issued a statement this past week. It was a statement reflecting on our common life as Americans. It reads in part, We have come to accept a level of insult and abuse in political discourse that violates each person's sacred identity as a child of God. We have come to accept as normal a steady stream of language and accusations coming from the highest office in the land that play to racist elements in society. This week we crossed another threshold. Not only did the president insult a leader in the fight for racial justice and equality for all persons, not only did he savage the nations from which immigrants to this country have come, but now he has condemned the residents of an entire American city. Where will we go from here? This, of course, follows in the wake of racial slurs against four sitting congresswomen, leading to a rally full of people chanting, send her home, referring to Minnesota Representative Ilhan Omar. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua says. I do choose, Jesus says. I choose you. Be made well, be whole and healthy, and hold your head high. But we, the people of the United States, we have said, go back where you came from. Make no mistake, Jesus could have said the same. He could have. But to say that is not of the gospel. To say that is to serve the gods of control and power and self-preservation, not the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Choose this day whom or what you will serve. When does silence become complicity? The National Cathedral asked. What will it take for all of us to say that we have had enough? The question is now less about the president's sense of decency, but of ours. As people of faith who believe in the sacredness of every single human being, the time for silence is over. 
we must boldly stand witness against this bigotry and hatred and intolerance. To choose silence in the face of this rhetoric is to condone the violence of these words. We are compelled instead to choose every opportunity to oppose instances of indecency and dehumanization, whether it comes through word or action. Now I know that there are those, there are those of you that would prefer that this space, this sanctuary, be a place set apart from the rest of the world that it be a place of respite from the news and the noise and everything else. But no less a preacher than our own David H. C. Reed, he stood in this pulpit and he said on the occasion of his 25th anniversary as your pastor, Carl Barth said the preacher is the one who stands with the Bible in one hand and the morning newspaper in the other. All true preaching is rooted in the Word of God revealed in the Bible, but the sermon is spoken to men and women living in the world of the daily news. The sermon then must deal not only with what happened to Moses, but with what is happening to Mrs. Jones or the multinational corporation. I think you will find that over these years, he said, I think you will find that my sermons have not become less concerned with the Bible but more concerned with the morning news. I no longer believe that the gospel can be preached week after week in fidelity to the Bible without reference to the questions that are agitating us, the questions that are reflected in the daily media. I do not believe it is my duty to lay down the Christian answer to every controversial question, but I reject the distinction between biblical preaching and activist preaching. He said a sermon, a church, a Christian whose faith flows from the Bible must be activist because this is to grow with the gospel, not to part from it. Friends, that is the thing about this life, about these lives of ours. It is never too late to keep growing and to keep learning because there is always another choice waiting up ahead. As long as there is air to breathe, we will always have choices to make. Choose this day whom you will serve. May we be courageous enough to choose the way of Jesus. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.